Welcome to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, where for 39 years, we have engaged the community in reflection and dialogue on the key issues of our day from an ethical perspective. Our hour-long forums are free and open to all, and we invite you to join us in the Sanctuary of Westminster Church for upcoming events. Information on our events and how to support the forum can be found at westminsterforum.org or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My name is Tim Hart Anderson. I'm the senior minister at Westminster Presbyterian Church, located on Nicollet Mall in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, and moderator of the forum. It's my pleasure to introduce today's guest speaker. Dr. Andre Thomas is the recently retired Owen F. Sellers Professor of Music, Director of Choral Activities, and Professor of Choral Music Education at Florida State University. He earned degrees in music from Friends University and Northwestern University, and a Doctor of Musical Arts from the University of Illinois. He served as the Artistic Director of the Tallahassee Community Chorus and has been invited as a guest conductor for choral and orchestral ensembles around the world. He is in demand as a choral adjudicator and clinician and has directed honor in all state choirs in North America, Europe, Asia, New Zealand, Australia, and Africa. The recipient of numerous awards and honors, he is recognized as a living legend by the African Diaspora Sacred Music Program and the American Choral Directors Association bestowed on him their highest honor, the Robert Shaw Award. As a composer and arranger, his works have been published by seven music publishers, and he is the author of the book, Way Over in Beulah Land, Understanding and Performing the Negro Spiritual. In today's presentation, he will help us deepen our understanding and appreciation of the meaning and power of the African-American spiritual. Before he begins his remarks today, Dr. Thomas would like us to listen to this recording of an enacted escape by enslaved Africans. right here in this young room. Every soul that done started this young journey is going to make it to freedom. But the face and every soul that look back to slavery going to die right here in this young room. For I see to it. Is we clear? Yes, yes, yes. 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 yes, yes.
Just wait. Now stay close together so you can keep warm. Now don't you worry about that damn mice and them dogs. Cause God's gonna trouble us your waters. Just trust God and trust old Moses him. And wait, children. Cause we's on our way to freedom. The year is 1619. A Dutch man of war has landed on the coast of Virginia and brought to this continent the first of the African slaves. Yes, just 400 years ago and one month. It happened in October of 1619. Who was on this ship? Well, it was most unusual because you have the Akan, you have the Fan, you have the Yoruba, you have the Igbo, the Fantu, the Ashanti, the Mandingo, and many other tribes that were on this ship as slaves. What must it have been like on that slave ship? Writers tell us it was a little bit like the Tower of Babel. Those of you that go to church know that story. Man builds a tower to reach God. God is displeased, strikes the tower down, and the languages come into existence. So they were there. Many of them couldn't speak to each other. If a slave ship arrived with hmm, a quarter of its cargo, it was still profitable. What happened to them? Well, they were kept below, fed, thrown food down to them. The sanitary conditions were horrible, so many of them died. Some became absolutely frightened and jumped off the ship and died. I didn't understand this very much because as a kid growing up, you know, I realized that my heritage went back to slavery, but I didn't think in terms of Africa. About seven years ago, I went to conduct the African Choral Festival in Ghana. And choirs came from all over the, what they call the Ivory Coast. They came from Ghana, they came from Benin, they came from Senegal, and as they marched in. And I, I got to see these people and I felt something really strange when I felt, when I saw these people, because there seemed to be some sort of identity I was feeling. So then they took me to a place called the Cape Coast Castle. If you ever go to Ghana, you must go to see it. It's a beautiful white building right on the Atlantic, of course. And when my feet stepped on the sand, going into that gate, the choir from Benin began singing instantly. And as, as you probably know, Benin is the French-speaking country of, of Africa. But in perfect English, they started singing, oh, freedom, oh, freedom. And I thought, something magical is going to happen to me. And I walked through that gate, and I walked to the courtyard. And if you know that castle, records tell us somewhere around a thousand males were kept, and around 500 females and, and children that varied. And when I walked in the courtyard, I looked to my left, and there was a big room, and it said males. And sure enough, they didn't try to make it fancier and make it like, you know, Disneyland. It is what it is. In a dirt floor, there's a trowel dug around the, the sides of the building where the men were kept. And I thought, how could all these men be in this place? How could they even sleep? But they were there. Then I saw the, the place where the women were kept. And then I saw the place where the children were kept. Then I went across the courtyard, and there was a gate. And that at the top of the gate, it says, 
translated in English for me, point of no return. I thought, what is this? And so I went through the gate and I stepped down these steps made out of boulders. And when I got to the bottom, my foot hit those sands and that was the sand. That was the beach area that I looked up and I saw the Atlantic Ocean. That was the last thing that my ancestors saw before getting on that water. They hadn't experienced anything like that, you know, being on a ship that would take them transcontinental. It wasn't the Queen Elizabeth II, so you can imagine what it must have been like. You know, as a kid, I, I left uh, uh, La Havre, France. My sisters had sent me to Europe to study German. And uh, I was coming back, and we were on this ship. You know, this is 1968. And it definitely was not the Queen Elizabeth. Um, you know, our food would go down this way, as, you know, we'd pick it back up and we'd send it to another direction. And I felt sick. And if you can imagine all these slaves in the bowels of that ship, what they felt like and the fear that they felt like. I also thought, oh, you know, were Africans really involved in selling us? And it became quite clear. There's still a good chieftain system that the chiefs still rule, even in a country like Ghana. And many of those chiefs were enticed by weaponry. They were enticed by trinkets to sell their own people into slavery. So we, we, get, we get here, just that few of us. And then when we arrive, we're treated to what I considered inhumane conditions. We weren't treated as people. We were treated just the same as you would treat livestock. So in shackles and chains, we proceed to these places, these plantations. Now how does that get us to this beautiful music that we so love? Well, the church sent itinerant preachers to each plantation, and they would preach to the slaves. They would preach to the slaves. And when they preached to the slaves, they brought their southern hymnody. And we heard it. Now, I didn't say these itinerant preachers were the brightest people in the world. But I will tell you, they began preaching to us. And of course, they start in the book of Genesis. And they talk about Moses. And it didn't take my ancestors but a blink of time to say, ooh, Moses. We like Moses. And somewhere way back in the back, some sisters said, go down Moses, way down in Egypt land. Tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. The song is born. Now, he'll go through various, various uh, variety of changes as slaves went from plantation to plantation, but it's born. No one knows who the composer is of this music. No one knows. It is indeed music of the people. Oh, they kept on with uh, Old Testament, yeah. And uh, some of these characters, I know some of you know. Joshua, right, the young warrior. We heard that, and some brother said, Joshua hit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, and that song is born. But they didn't stop there. They got to Daniel. And we said, oh, yes, we love Daniel. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel? And why not every man? OK. Then they get to my favorite guy. OK? And if I had been in the audience at that point in time, I think I would have made up this song. They talked about David. And you know, the reason David is my favorite guy is several reasons. You know, God said he was a man after my own heart. And if you've read the Bible, you know David did a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, in my neighborhood, they say David was a player. He was a murderer. He was he was all this stuff David was. Yeah, you know. And I go, yeah. And I think you know, if God says He's a man after my own heart, I got a good chance in heaven. <laughs> so there was David. The other reason I like David is David was a musician. Okay, and I like David because David. Dance, and I used to love to dance. Okay, uh, they said he danced naked before the Lord. I I, I don't do naked dancing, but he, he he danced, and and one of my answers said, "Oh yeah, he was a musician." I have a song for David. And they went, little David, play on your harp, hallelujah, hallelujah, and that song is born. Okay. And so we can go all the way through, you know, Elijah, okay? How did he die? Well, Mendelssohn took about mm, 15 minutes on his death, which didn't happen, <laughs> as he went in a chariot to heaven straight up. Um, and of course, we sang about Elijah. So we, that's one way of classifying these, these songs, by Old Testament text. Now, the New Testament, they would preach from the New Testament. And this is what they would do. Now, you got to remember, this whole preaching to us was not because they wanted to save our souls. They wanted us to be docile. And so they emphasize the writings of Paul, where Paul says, slaves, be obedient to your masters. And we said, you know what? Paul doesn't get no songs. Okay. We, we know Paul, but you know, we are fair people. We mention him in two songs, okay? If you cannot, you know, sing like an angel, if you cannot preach like Paul, he gets that one. And the other line we love to sing was, Paul and Silas were in jail. That's what we thought about Paul, okay? But they would preach to us about Paul. Okay. But who do you suppose was our favorite character? Now, I'm in a church. You should know this. <laughs> Jesus, yes. <laughs> we loved Jesus. Okay. And so then we made up songs about Jesus. Now, there's a spiritual arrangement that probably is my bestseller out of 40 years, and it's still selling, and it's a miracle. Um, the piece is called Keep Your Lamps. And so we heard this message. They preached about the wise and the foolish virgins. Okay? And the story goes like this. There were some wise virgins, and they were told, and foolish virgins, to get their lamps ready trim them, set them burning, and go to the place where they were to meet the bridegroom. When they got there, the bridegroom did not show up. Now, the Bible does not tell us why the, the wise ones sent the poor foolish ones back to the village for more oil for their lamps. You know, I equate it to uh, probably Presbyterians and Southern Baptists at the same place going different areas. But they, they you know, I'll probably get in trouble about that statement, but I'm going back to Florida on Sunday. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, then tell us why. Okay? But they left. And then at the point that the foolish ones left, the Bible says, you know not the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will return. Be ye ready. And some sisters said, keep your lamps trimmed and burning. And that song is, burned, is born. Okay? So we have Old Testament. We have New Testament. And then we're going to talk about one other classification of them, that this one leads us to modern music. This classification is called personal expression. Okay? Now, in personal expression, if I say, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry, 
Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan. What did? A band of angels coming after? You understand personal expression? Okay. That's the third kind of spiritual that we, we created. Okay. Now, I didn't like this music very much growing up as a kid. In fact, I hated it. Um, growing up in, in segregated Kansas at that point in time, um, my mother was a coach cleaner, cleaned buses, and, and I wasn't getting up going to school. And my oldest sister was the first black teacher to teach at the secondary level, at the high school level, because at that time, black teachers couldn't teach at the high school level. So she taught English and German. So my mother, as persistent as she was, petitioned the school board and said, he can go to this school. And my daughter will drop him off on her way to her job. And so the school board said, OK, we'll let him integrate it. And I integrated it. It was 2,000 students and me. <laughs> That's not the worst part. The worst part is, you know, I go into the music room, and the teacher says, oh, do you, you play the piano? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, I mean, do you read music? And I said, yes, sir, I read music. Would you like me to play you something? And he said, yes, son, let's see what kind of piano playing you do. So I sat down, and I played him the Brahms Ballad in D minor. And <laughs> then he looked at me, and he says, oh, we're moving you out of this group. You're going into our special group. And I went, oh, no. And that's when I became a member of the Lads and Lasses, and we were killed. <laughs> then. Then I went to high school, and the racial makeup wasn't much better. There were five of us there, and my, it was six counting my sister, but she was out having my nephew. And so um, I went to high school, and I, you know, our school was South High School, and our school song was Dixie. And so uh, then I went into the choir room, and the choir director started. And I went, oh, God. And then she looked over at me, and she said, Andre, you take that solo. I said, there's no solo written in this. She says, I know, but you know what you guys do. I went, oh. So I graduated the ripe old age of 16, and I go to Friends University, where the first person that came in was a man by the name of Charles Hurt. He was my teacher's teacher. And we did Song of Democracy, which I love. But then, later, this little man came in, and he completely changed my life. And he came in with his music, and he was doing spirituals. And then he looked, he was a master teacher a master teacher. He looked around and he read behavior and, and the way people, facial expressions. And he looked at me, he said, son, let's go for a little walk. And I went with him, he said to me, he said, it appears you don't like this music very much. I said, yes, sir, that's really an understatement. I hate this music. And he said, why do you hate it so? And I said, I hate it because it feels like it's an excuse for white people to make fun of black people. And he said, son, I'm going to educate you. And he said, um, besides, that song you sang to me is, is not my song. That's Dawson's song. I said, but yours is not much better. <laughs> yeah, I was a cocky little thing. and. Uh, then he proceeded to tell me about dialect. And he said, you know why your ancestors didn't do that TH sound? In all the tribes in Africa, th is not present. So your ancestors accommodated. I went, oh, OK. And he says, oh, let's talk about this other part, where they drop their R's. My mother, brother. What, what? He said, what do you suppose that means? He says. You know, and I didn't understand that till I moved to Florida and 90 degrees and 90% humidity. You drop ending of words pretty quickly when you're out there. Okay? But then I said to him, you know, I'm taking English diction for singers. Madeline Marshall is the textbook we use. And she says, in good singing, uh, you drop those R's before an E, you know, or a vowel that precedes it. I said, it's amazing that my ancestors knew, you know, 300 years ago, that if you're going to be a good singer, you drop those R's. 
So he hugged my neck and he stayed in my life for a long time. So run the clock forward. I'm at the University of Texas and a choir comes in and they're singing my arrangement of Keep Your Lambs. Now, I gave you the biblical part of that, okay? When you do this music, you gotta know where it comes from, where it lands. Two, you gotta know also what were the, the, the sociological implications of that? Something like, keep your limbs. When I said to you, the, 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 Jesus says, you know not the day nor the hour when the Son of Man shall return, be ye ready. And that's why this piece is often done at Advent time. Be ready for the coming. And if knowing that, looking straight out there, uh, Ethan. Ethan is my buddy on the plantation. I'm sorry, Ethan, but you're going to be a slave for right now. Um, we're both slaves. Ethan hears that Harriet Tubman, that's the reenactment you heard. Those were her words. Not a slave's going to go back for you. Uh, I'll kill you. It's, it's coming. Now, Ethan can't come to me in the field and say, Andre, Harriet Tubman's coming. Well, two things would have happened. Considering our build, we probably weren't that valuable. Uh, we both would be shot or we'd be beaten and whipped. So he couldn't do that. But in the field, he could go, keep your lamps. And then all of a sudden, writers tell us it was like billows of sound coming from the field. Billows of sound. And that's what they mean by that. And by daybreak, someone is gone. Now, when you do music from a culture, you have one major responsibility. You need to understand the culture first before you do the music. Understand the culture. Two, present it in a way that the person from that culture feels enhanced because they get to have that experience and the person not from that culture grows in an appreciation for the culture of the music. That's the power of music. It's amazing how powerful it can be. You don't have to be rich to sing. You don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. All God's children can sing. Now, you may think, in the end, I'm going to have you sing a little bit of this piece called Amen. But I will tell you, I am in Israel. I am conducting a choir of 500 Jews from all over the world and looking at 3,000 Jews in the audience. And do you know what we close with? I said, see the little baby. And all of them said, Amen. <laughs> and it was incredible. Okay, about, about that music. So, we weren't allowed to read or write, and that's why they preached to us. Now, some masters allowed certain things to happen. If you know the story of Nate Turner, you know that his mistress taught him to read. And so thus, they wanted him to be the preacher and preach to the other slaves. But what Nate did was he didn't preach those same passages to them. Which, which caused you know, some, some, some trouble. But yes, um, the billows of sound, and I'm going to tell you another quick story, and then I'm going to be done. Um, run the clock forward. Uh, I'm teaching at Florida State University. And I am an assistant professor without tenure. And the dean sends me a note. Dear Andre. A gentleman is going to call you. I hope you can do me and the university a favor. Thanks. And it said, Dean Glitton. Then a cross line, and it said, Bob. Now, that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the happy face. <laughs> so then the call comes. Dr. Thomas, this is John Ireland. Um, did your dean tell you that I would be calling? I said, yes, sir, he did. How may I help you? And then he said, I own a plantation near Tallahassee. I said, you own a what? 
He said, I own a plantation near Tallahassee, and I would like for you to come out and, and, and bring some singers. Well, the story gets worse, but the big issue was as I drove through those gates and I looked to the right and I saw the fields, I also saw the slave pens. And then all of a sudden, the billows of sound made a lot of difference for me. Right. Now back to Ghana, and thanks to Ancestry.com and 23andMe, I now know one of the reasons that Ghana means so much to me is because I have about 70% uh, Ghanaian in my bloodline. Now, that's not all. You know, I got Native American, I even have Indonesian, but the other big percentage I have is, is Irish, you know. <laughs> I, I don't think that came from any real decision other than probably a slave owner said hello, and, and, <laughs> and that happens to us. So it's a music of a people that are proud and have created America's song. Now America's funny. When it comes to the arts, we look to Europe to distinguish who we are. National Conservatory was trying to find a composer that would help us find our voice. Now, never mind, we had Edward McDowell and a few other composers here, but they decided they would go, of all places, to the Czech Republic and bring Anton Dvorak over to help the Americans find their voice. Well, as Providence would have it, uh, McDowell's mother was a benefactor to the, the National Conservatory, and she gave a scholarship to a man by the name of Henry T. Burley, Harry T. Burley. He had a scholarship there, and he also worked in her home. And when Dvorak came for a visit, he heard Burley sing these songs singing these songs. Now, Burley was the first to set the spiritual for solo voice. And he said, that's America's voice, is in these songs of the slave. Now, no matter where I go in the world, they may allow me to do Bach and Brahms, and even a Mozart Requiem, but they say, will always say, do you know one of those spirituals? From an enslaved people grew the, the song that became America's voice all over the world. And I went from being this kid who was embarrassed about his heritage to one that became part of my life's work. And I will thank Jester Harrison for the rest of my life for taking time with this know-it-all kid to set him straight. And so this choir is doing Keep Your Lamps. I'm in Texas, my first college teaching job. And they come up and they sing. It's a festival. And the choir comes up from the valley. They're all Hispanic. They get there. And their conductor, Naomi, has her uh, she's, she was going through her Chicano period as I was going through my Afrocentristic period, which meant I had to braid it every day to make sure the hair would stay out. But anyway, um, Naomi came on. She had leather pants on, leather jacket, and the choir started singing Keep Your Lamps, and they sing, sang it like this. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. The time is drawing. I keep your lamps trimmed. You know, they even changed the rhythm. And... So when they finished, you know, the kids all went, yay. And so they said, ladies and gentlemen from Eagle Pass High School, your clinician, onstage clinician, is Dr. Andre Thomas. And Naomi went, oh, <laughs> So I walked on the stage and I said, you know, I've never heard my arrangement like that ever before. I said, it had so much rhythm. And it had so much energy to it. Are you interested in what I might have thought when I did the arrangement? And they went, uh-huh. And so then I had them stand and sing it again at my temple. 
And then I had them to put their right hand on the shoulder of the person in front of them and turn and walk that way. And their arm symbolized the chain that was connecting their right leg to the right leg of the person behind them through shackles. I said, do you feel the energy of that piece? And they said, yes. And when I was walking in my car, this young lady said, sir, sir. I said, what is it? She said, that piece. I said, what piece? That piece you did with the choir from Eagle Pass. What about it? She said, it made me. I said, what, dear? She said, it made me what? And she said, it made me feel so black. I hugged her neck, and I said, you know it makes me feel black, too. And then I said, thank you, Mr. Harrison. It's come full circle. You give of your life to the music, and it is America's music. 1861, uh, the AME Church is founded. Richard Allen publishes that hymnal. That's the first time we got to see it in form. It's amazing that it looked like a hymn, because that's what we had heard. So I think I'm past my time. <laughs> so I'm going to stop now for these questions. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Andre Thomas. You're listening to the Westminster Town Hall Forum, broadcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church on Nicollet Mall in downtown Minneapolis. My name is Tim Hart Anderson. I'm the senior minister here at Westminster Church and moderator of the forum. Our speaker today is conductor and composer Dr. Andre Thomas. While the ushers collect questions from the in-house audience, I'd like to thank our broadcast partner, the statewide network of Minnesota Public Radio News, Heard in the Twin Cities on 91.1 FM. Our online media sponsor, MinPost, and the co-sponsor of today's forum, Vocal Essence, Minnesota's distinguished choral ensemble and one of the premier choral organizations in the world. We invite you to join us at Westminster Church for our next forum this Saturday, November 16th at 11 a.m. This coming Saturday at 11 a.m., when we welcome educator, activist, and founder of the Center for Courage and Renewal, Parker Palmer. He will be in conversation with Sandra Samuels, president of the Northside Achievement Zone in North Minneapolis, and together they will explore the topic, We the People, a time to act. Visit our website, westminsterforum.org, for further information. And now, Dr. Thomas, if you would return to the pulpit, I will present the questions from the audience. The first question has to do with the purpose of these spirituals. You, you uh, uh, des describe them as ways of communicating, uh, ways of anticipating, ways of building resilience. To what extent were they also songs of resistance? Well, of course, you know, that, that, that silent resistance, you gotta remember there were two things that happened on the plantation, you know. Um, People like to say black people just love to sing and dance. Well, there's a reason, okay? Because a quiet slave was a dangerous slave. That was number one. And you would get a hand and make a sound. And so we sang those. We sang those for communication for freedom. We sang those songs for our enhancement and hope. Um, and we sang those, those songs often comforted, you know? Um, a slave mother sees her only child being sold off to slavery, and she goes back to that song. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, a long way from home, nobody here to help me. We sang it to console ourselves. And, you know, uh, singing those songs, you know, we, it was a resistance, it was a way to, to invigorate us. And that reenactment, you heard Wade in the Water being sung. Frederick uh, Douglass, our great statesman, tells us the songs sung on the Underground Railroad. And those songs were spirituals, also map songs like Follow the Drinking Gourd were sung along that time. And so, yeah, there was some resistance because it's amazing. I mean, as a kid, when I would watch people look at somebody that, that that 
I respected as a kid because it was Deacon so-and-so and for somebody to call Deacon so-and-so, hey boy, you know, and Deacon so-and-so to duck his head and go, yeah, my time is coming. And so the songs acted in the same way. When you couldn't say what you really wanted to say, you could put it in song. And it was accepted. Can you draw a direct line from the, the power of spirituals in the time when people were enslaved in this country to the power of the music of the civil rights movement? Oh, yes, yeah. That, that's, that's pretty easy, you know, because some of the spirituals were sung as well as some of the other songs from the civil rights movement. Um, I didn't talk about what happens after 1866, the great migration forward. And um, what happened was these songs developed. When I talked about the personal one, um, uh, the personal spiritual like Swing Low Sweet Chariot, from that comes another form of music. This great migration went, went north to urban centers, um, up the east coast to Turner Station in Baltimore, on up to Harlem, uh, down the center going up to the great place of Chicago. And we meet a man who was a blues singer, because that blues came out of that same personal expression. His name was Thomas Dorsey, and he penned another song when his wife and children were killed called Precious Lord Take My Hand. That was gospel music. And so by the time we get into the civil rights movement, all of our music comes together. Not just, we weren't just singing spirituals, we were singing our whole experience from 1866 forward. So yeah, that's like, you know, that's like asking me if I know a spiritual. I mean, it's just who I am. That was an easy question. Here's one from one of the students in the room. Up what, there. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Kanye West's new album, Jesus is King? <laughs> Well, there's a spiritual that goes like this. I got shoes, you got shoes, all God's children got shoes. That's what I think. We're getting a number of questions coming forward from the audience here at Westminster asking about cultural appropriation. Oh, boy. Yeah, you knew this was coming. I knew this was coming because if you check my inbox, I get about 10 to 15 of those emails a day about cultural appropriation. Um, I think it's cultural appropriation when I look at you and I say, okay, we're gonna sing this song and you're going to be black. I can look at you and say that a hundred times and you're not turning black, okay? That's not what I want you to get from this music. I want you to get the message of this music and the people who wrote this music. That's not appropriating it. Okay? But, you know, I, it's amazing to me that I get all these questions about the spiritual, but nobody asks me the same thing when I do all of Bartok and, and Kodai's, you know, folk music. Nobody says, are you appropriating Hungarian culture because you're doing Kodai? You know? No. No, I'm not. Okay? And you can't tell me I can't do Bach. I even can say some words in German, so I can do Bach, all right? And I'm not becoming German to do Bach. Can you tell us what the difference is, if there is one, between gospel music and African-American spirituals? Yeah, that was easy. I was going to go down there and play a little bit, but I'm not. Um, gospel music, as I said, grew out of that personal expression. Now, up until 18, 18, past 1866, we had no idea who the composer was. This caused a big rift between my two mentors, William Dawson on this side and Jester Harrison on this side. Dawson said, these are folk songs. Jester said, they're spirituals. They were both right. It's kind of like Robert Shaw and Roger Wagner. It took them forever to start speaking to each other again. But they were both right. We, they are folk songs. They are, they are songs of the people. All we can do is arrange these. And what you hear, when people say, I want to do the authentic spiritual, they don't want to do the authentic spiritual. They really don't. They want to do the spiritual arrangements that were made popular by the historically black colleges. 
the HBCUs. That's what that's the spiritual. In fact, Dawson, <laughs> Dawson said to me when Keep Your Lamps came out, he said, son, I said, yes, sir. He said, your music's all right, but it just don't have enough counterpoint in it. And I said, well, Mr. Dawson, do you really believe that the slaves were in the, fugues, in the field singing in fugue? He said, don't matter. And so then I did Keep Your Lamp, uh, uh, When the Trumpet Sounds. And it had piano. He said, son, you used that piano. I said, I don't. <laughs> and so a southern division of ACDA, and I'm introducing a new piece of mine called Rock in Jerusalem. And I model it after my two mentors, Jester and, and William Dawson. And I start the beginning, because the beginning starts like, I hear rocking in the land, rocking in the land, and ringing the bells. And the women come in three parts above. Just like Jester started, Elijah rock, shout, shout, Elijah. So that was fine. I'm conducting, I look where Philip is and who's sitting there, but William Dawson. And so I keep conducting as a whole. There were as many people as here. You know, everybody's singing. And I get to the last three pages, which are, are in, 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 in honor of Dawson, because it has little strettos. You know, as part that always goes out of tune. But anyway, I look over there where he is, and he did just what Phillips did. He goes, So then he comes on stage and he said, son, come here, I'm going to hug your neck. I said, come, no, come close, i got to hug that neck. So he came and he hugged my neck and he said, son, I said, yes, sir. He said, that's a little better. That was an easy question. Okay. Here, here comes another one. Tell us about the origins of syncopation. Oh, my goodness. The or well, first of all, the origins of syncopation came along with some musicologists that gave it the term syncopation. Okay, uh, that's that's syn you know, we gave it a term. People have been feeling syncopation their whole lives, and you know your feeling of syncopation may be a little different than my feeling of syncopation. You know, um, and so I would say. I think the idea is often it, when people look at black music, they go, oh, it's syncopated. It's very syncopated, and how can I do the, that rhythm? You know, and it's like, please. You know, um, it's accessible. It is accessible. You know, I'm conducting a festival in Ireland, and they came out with their little heels and a little click, and you know, I got size 15 feet, and my feet just didn't quite want to click, 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 click. You know, but I could get the essence of it. So syncopation is just a matter of responding to rhythm. We bought a lot of those ideas. That's why this is such a, a, an American form, because you have the form of rhythm and, and the beats of the drums, which they actually took away from us. That all came, came across, the, the wanting to sing. We sang everything. There was no choir orchestra, I mean choir and audience. We, the whole village sang all together. And so the singing, you know, the pentatonic harmony, uh, call and response, we brought that on over here. Now you put that with Jesus and the Bible and some southern hymns, and then we come up with our songs. And we kept our syncopation in our songs. Okay. Now, what we have to do as choral directors is to teach others how to do that so it's not effective. You know, I'm judging an international competition. And I'm sitting there when an American choir comes in, and we're listening to popular music. And this American choir comes in, and they sing this just like this. Beat it, beat it. <laughs> and the whole panel went. <laughs> and I'm sure Michael Jackson was having a heart attack, you know? Um, because that person imposed Western art diction onto Michael Jackson, okay? It's no different than putting Western art diction um, into, um, in that great getting up a morning, fare thee well, fare thee well, in that great getting up morning. I hope we don't sound like that on Sunday, okay? But um, yeah, okay, next one. <laughs> uh, We've just got a time for a couple more minutes here, but 
in the in the resistance movement today in the streets, particularly I'm thinking of Black Lives Matters or mm -hmm. other uh, efforts to uh, bring about racial justice, mm -hmm. is there song, and is that connected to the tradition that you're so familiar with, with spiritual? There are lots of songs related to, to, to what's going on now. Um, I mean, people will use even Carole King, you know, as, as, because it expresses of uh, a need, and those songs are Im important. Um, you, you can't forget, you know, during the 60s, um, Peter, Paul, and Mary all singing those songs. Uh, those songs have a message, uh, and they, they belong, um, and they belong to us today. So, yes, I think they now have a full body of things to pull from, okay? When I was, you know, 1962, uh, we didn't have a whole lot to pull from, you know, as far as, as things happen. We went into the church, and the church was singing both these spirituals and these gospel songs, and they enveloped as we went through to look at the justice movement. It's really important. Uh, there's a center called the Freedom Center in Cincinnati. If you've ever been there, it's two huge blocks. It's not doing so well since they've op opened up the Afro-American um, uh, uh, Museum in DC. Uh, they're losing lots of funding. Everything is money. But when you walk into this, not only was the Freedom Center dealing with slavery, they had showed all the kinds of ways to escape and they had all, but they had a room lower where they, they dealt with uh, human trafficking because that was the next issue. Of, of, and they showed, you know, the room showed how many millions of people were enslaved, et cetera. He's waving at me, so <laughs> I guess we're waving goodbye to the audience. Um, Philip, give me an E flat real quick. This is music? All right. Now, you know this tune. All you have to do is say, Amen. I bet you, oh, I hear it already. Here, give us some sort of introduction. Amen. Oh, listen to you. Amen. Uh huh. Amen. Amen. See the little baby lying in a manger Christmas morning. See him at the temple. Talking to the elders. All right. Now, do you see how clever we are? We give you the whole life of Jesus in 25 seconds. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Keep singing these songs. Keep singing these songs. Thank you so very much for join, joining me here. I, I kept thinking, you, you've had all these famous people out there. Is anybody going to come hear me talk about spirituals? <laughs> hey, even those kids up there. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Andre Thomas.